This is Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. Sibu Siso Sizato was born in a village near Umtata in the Eastern Cape. Following on from the story of yachtsman Rick Nankin, this edition of Frontierland reveals the remarkable tale of this rural farm boy and how he ended up skippering a multi-million rand racing yacht in one of the world's most famous ocean races. It is a remarkable story that has been made into a movie, but more importantly, it is a tale of inspiration. Enjoy. Sibo, what a pleasure to meet you. We've, I've just had a lovely conversation with Rick Nankin. Um, he's a legend around these parts, isn't he? Yeah, his name is quite big, yeah. <laughs> well, your name is quite big as well. You're about to appear in a film that's been made about you because it's quite an incredible story. You were the skipper of this year's um, Cape Yacht that was entered into the Cape to Rio race. And not only that, you came third. You did so um, with a crew from an incredible background. Tell me a bit about yourself and how you got into this. Um, so I grew up in the, as a young man in the Eastern Cape and then I moved into the Western Cape year 2003. And 2005 I got introduced to the sailing sport. Uh, I was in a township in Masipumele Township. And um, the sailing that I was doing in 2005 was in, um, in Town in a school called Zivungu Vungu Foundation. And when I first got in, introduced to the sport, I didn't really like it. It was just not for me, you know. I was getting seasick, I was getting all sort of stuff like uh, getting scared of the water, the deeper we went, you know. And uh, I stopped. I went one day and then I stopped. I was like, nah, I'd rather stick to soccer. That's what I know, you know. And two years went by and I saw my friend getting these goodies, you know, like getting new stuff, like clothing, like soccer, like school stationaries. And it, at, the, at the soccer side, it was a bit difficult. Like if you look at it, there's millions and millions of South Africans, youngsters, they're looking at the same goal, to be the next Dr. Kumala, the next Mark Fish. And we're all looking at this one thing. Then I saw an opportunity that, hey, on the sailing side, there's like 0.5% of people of color. So there is a better chance actually there. So I just took a chance. I was like, okay, you know what, let me go back. Look, let me go back to sailing again. Take, take away the fear and all that stuff because this is where I see to make my life better, you know. So I went back and sailing again. My family was against it, and I just pushed it and pushed it. Like look where I am today. Absolutely incredible. I, look, I'm a soccer man. Um, <laughs> I couldn't think anything more alien than uh, taking a yacht <laughs> across the ocean. Not just any ocean. We're talking about the Southern Atlantic from Cape to Rio. How long did this journey take? I mean, you're not only just a sailor, you're a skipper of a major yacht. I mean, it's quite quite incredible. So it was quite a long journey, quite a challenging journey as well, like from the background that I come from. I faced a lot of challenges along the, the way, but uh, the aim was not to give up. I mean, like the situation that I was in back at home and uh, at school as well didn't allow me to give up at any point. So I had to keep on pushing. Where I didn't, I, I didn't even know I would be where I am today. I just like, I just felt that this is just the way forward. I mean, like, I remember when I went to to the school and um, the first thing that in the day, they gave us is something to eat. Whereby at home, you get home, you don't get that kind of pleasure. And right there, I was like, okay, at least I get a strength to go sail. So this is where I need to be. So the journey. Um, started in 2005, 2007, it was a real thing happening, I've done a lot of sailing, I went to Zubungu for like three years, in three years time, 
I learned a lot and then I got invited in a Rayside squad, which is the Olympic squad. So they sell a local and, and uh, international. And I stayed with them since from 2012. So 2012 they did the, the Olympics in London and they invited me to come and train with them. At that time there was the Junior Worlds coming up in uh, La Rochelle, which is in France. So I went to sell with them and we did the training. It was a group of uh, five youngsters, um, was three crews and two skippers. So I was one of the crews at that time and I had to, we had to fight for number one spot out of three. I was quite lucky because at that time, not lucky, I was quite more advanced because at that time the only thing I was focusing on it was sailing, whereby the other team members they had to go to university, they had to do other, all other sports and I only had this one sport to look at. So it was more advanced on my, on my side. So after six months of battling who's going to go to La Rochelle for the junior worlds, I ended up being the guy selected. But I had an issue with the birth certificate. I didn't have an ID, I didn't have a birth certificate, so I was like a foreign or alien. I was in like, I, I didn't exist in the country actually. Why? Um, back in the Eastern Cape where I grew up, I was, uh, got born in the heart. And my mom never had a chance to go to a birth certificate for me. And at that time I couldn't go to school. Even when I came to the Western Cape, I battled to go to school because of the birth certificate. So without a birth certificate, you can't have an ID. So even though I qualified in 2013 to go in to Show, I still had a problem like still, but uh, I don't have a birth certificate and my coach didn't know that. So my coach didn't know all of that stuff, so... Uh, and you were aware of it, this was, was going to be an issue at some yes, point. Yes, I was aware of it and I didn't know how to tell my coach because my coach is so excited and he's see this talent in me, I just didn't know how to tell him. That's, it was one of the things that if I tell him he's going to kick me off the team, but I still want to learn. Even if I don't travel the world, but I can still be able to coach in this country and earn some bit of living. I can still be able to go enter competitions, even though one day I won't have a proper results because they will need my ID somewhere. I was just trying to make a living at that time. And when I had to break the news to my coach that I don't have a birth certificate, oh, it was one of the shocking news to him because he was excited and all that stuff. But he managed to, because my father tried to do it for me and he failed. At school that I went to, at a sailing school, is Vungu Vungu. Three coaches tried. Uh, the manager tried as well. They also failed. And my coach and his dad, and they gather all the information from the past, from my father, from the school where I went to. They called my stepmom as well to step in so that we can, can be a witness. And we went to town and we went there, we spent a couple of hours and then there it was, it was done, signed the papers. This is the reality of what people in this country go through, but there's something different with you. You've been to an Olympic Games, you're now training at a high level of sport, yet fundamentally you're going to be held back by the fact that you haven't got a birth certificate. Um, I've, ne I've, I've never went to the Olympic Games, I was just training with the Olympic squad. Well that in itself is an achievement, it's quite yes. incredible. <laughs> How many of those people in that squad have got a similar issue? None of them. None of them actually. None so wh them. Where, were you, where were you born in the Eastern Cape? I was born in Kum Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So people listening to this this podcast, a lot of people will be from the Eastern Cape. So it's mm. fantastic that we <laughs> that we had this opportunity to speak today. So let's fast forward to that. Did you get the birth certificate sorted and it allowed you now to, to be where you are now? Yes. So I got the certificate sorted with the help of my, my coach and his dad. I got the certificate sorted out and then finally I could travel because I had 
I'll say it wasn't in eight. There was a, a awesome travel, something like an awesome travel, like a free going to Spain. I couldn't go to that, and the whole school went to Spain for that vacation or something like that. And 2010 was another one going to Italy. I couldn't go to that because I didn't have a birth certificate. Yes, it was quite a hard thing for me, but it didn't really hit me that much because I don't know. I was, I was quite, I was different. My feelings were quite different, and. Uh, it was one of those moments I was like, nah, I just gave up. I, like, it's out of my hand. I can't. Well, you hadn't traveled before, so you didn't know what you're missing out on. Yeah. But sailing being such an international sport mm. at some point, now you're reaching levels at the heights of this and people can see your, your potential. Correct. It's going to affect you at some point, isn't it? And clearly this day is coming. Yeah, yeah. So, 2013, I managed, uh, my coach managed to sort it out. And yeah, I am traveling. Um, I still remember it was around. Uh, May, June. I am traveling all the way to uh, La Rochelle in France for the first time in the flight and first time holding a passport or an ID or a birth certificate. It's just, just so many things to get excited about. It was either the ID or being on a flight or being in France or uh, like it was just too many. Like, the sailing came easy. It was the other stuff you yeah. were just blowing your mind. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And we competed in La Rochelle. We traveled to Wales, uh, just north of uh, London, uh, in England. And we came back to France again in, in Hears. Uh, we did some sailing there. In La Rochelle, we did very well, actually, because it was my first attempt. And my the skipper has been to the Olympics uh, in 2012. But being in the Junior Worlds was his first attempt as well. So we went and we, it was a, a bronze, silver, and gold fleet. And we qualified for the gold fleet. And we qualified with such a good um, uh, like results. We were in fourth place overall out of, uh, I think it was 39 countries, um, 89 boats, 89, 90 boats. And we were in fourth overall. And that was amazing coming from South Africa. And and how many in the crew at this stage? So it was two in each boat. Okay. So it's a double-handed boat. So it's two in each boat. Okay. And what is it about sailing that appeals to you? Why did you take to this sport that you'd never even imagined you'd have the opportunity to do? So when I jump on the boat and it started moving, there's no engine. So I had to figure out how does it move forward. And someone telling me it's the cells. I don't even know what's the cells. It's just cloth here. And then how does it move? And then he said, there's the wind that blows into it. I was like, I just need to know more about this thing. I just need to know more if there's something that exists, floats on the water, and it moves just, just by putting this small cell up and it just moves fast. And I just need to know about it. I just need to. I just wanted to dig deep about it. I just wanted to know what's behind this boat moving without the engine, and just a stick behind there, and just pulling strings and ropes. I just got driven to know, you know, and the I am today. Incredible, incredible, <laughs> incredible story. So it's not only. Um, a privileged sport. Mm. A lot of, there's a lot of wealth in this sport, and the background you've come from. Mm. How have the sailing fraternity, the, sail, the, the, the traditional sailing world, how have they embraced you and your story? Has it, has it been a welcoming world that you found yourself in? Um, so at the beginning, as we grew up, we've been told about racism and stuff like that. So as a black guy, we always had that a black child. We have that fear that, uh, that there's racism. To be fair, I think people are over exaggerating it. I have to say it because when I go to the sport, I will go out and have uh, an event somewhere like a regatta. On the field, after sailing, we'll go maybe play soccer or rugby. Over there, you find people with a young 10, 13, young, black, white, colored, playing together. Having, not, not even in my mind, I would say, I have to treat this person different because he's white, my mom is working for him, or what. 
that doesn't exist there. We play, we kick each other, we... Sport is a leveller. Yep. Yes. Everybody yep. Every, everybody plays for the love of the exactly. sport. You don't see the colour. Exactly. But surely in yachting, giving its history, mm. the fact that you have to be quite wealthy to have a boat, to mm. have to be able to train and have the time, um, and your background as well. How have you found that people have embraced you coming in? Has it been a supportive environment for you? Uh, it, uh, we, uh, I think we... We are already being welcome because we look we at the Real Cape Yacht Club today, and we have our own thing happening. And um, we look at this way: we look at the boat floating somewhere. We think it's a rich man's sport, right? Because it's someone retired, maybe it's just that the awareness. That's it. For me, where I stay from in the township, it's just the awareness that there is a sport, a water sport out there called sailing, and everyone is welcome to come and join. There's not much awareness about it. That's why I didn't know. That's why a child out there sitting at home doesn't know about this sport. There's not much news and not much awareness about the sport that it does exist. So for me to, for me doing Rio and the help of Alex Forbes, I think it created a lot of awareness because after that we had to do interviews. We had to go out in the township, talk to the youngsters. That's how they find out. They see us in the papers. They see us in the township and they get curious. They go to school, do a presentation. And now we've got more youngsters wanting to join the sport. Super. It was just the awareness, that's it. You are a role model. Yeah. You know, like Sia Khaleesi, you are a role model. Um, and it's an incredible story that I've stumbled on, I must admit. But how can we find out more? I believe there's a there's a film being made of this story. Yeah. So, I mean, like, like recently, in 2018, we had a dream of going to Rio. So after I did all my you know, my sailing in 2017, I came to this club and I saw these kids here and I was like, okay, now it's, it's, it's enough about me and having this fantasy of flying to countries. I think it's about time before I start anything serious besides sailing, it's about time to give back. So when I came back, I saw these youngsters coming back, coming from the same background as me. And I was like, this is the best opportunity for me to come and assist. I came here and I volunteered for like six months. And then after that, I got employed by the club. The first thing on top of my list was, I need to go, I need to do something that is going to be very adventurous, something that is going to put a mark in the school, in this academy, that we've done it. And Rio was right at the top. And the youngsters actually quite push it as well, that this is the kind of event we want to do, like go across the ocean. And we had other events like uh, below that, but Rio was always on top. And the first Rio was uh, the first attempt for Rio was 2020, but we couldn't go to that one because of the sponsors. We were struggling getting financial uh, financially to go there, and we couldn't go. And the port was always there. The port was Archangel. The port was built in 1979, so she's an older lady, you know. She's quite old and this archangel uh, yacht she's got quite a history herself so it's yeah. a it's a story of of people and this <laughs> magnificent boat coming together and doing this trip isn't yeah it? yeah it was it was just perfect like the us there's the angels and the boat there waiting for us to do i don't know it felt like it was just the one more thing for her like just to go across the, the ocean. final journey yeah and with the youngsters you know um so we got the boat but we we're struggling like to find the sponsors like what I liked about the team, even though in the back of my mind I was like, ah, we're not gonna get this sponsor. But the team kept us kept me alive, kept me positive all the time. Because I selected ten guys and out of that ten, five fell out because they had other things to do. You can't top stop someone waiting for something that you don't even know is gonna happen. And I had the, like these two guys that were with me all the time saying, Wherever you go, we're gonna go with you. 
you put this team together you're gonna be the captain we're gonna go with you wherever you go so those two guys put another two youngsters we sat on a table and like okay you know what let's go out there and sell let's go out there let's do like overnight sailing let's sell for let's go out for two days let's go out there and sell. someone will watch someone will see us let's just do something let's not just talk about it and say we want to go to rio let's be in action a bit so we went training 2020 2021 uh 2022 still no sign and you need like two years to prep about itself to do a race like that and for us we're just prepping ourselves so that we don't have to train and try to fix the boat as well so now we are ready like uh, 2022 around march we're ready and we're like ah we, we don't know what we're gonna do now because we only left with like eight seven months to go and we need at least two years to fix this boat and uh, in june a sponsor alex forbes came on board you know when the news came ah i didn't even know what to say i was like should i say yes or what i was like too excited wait like i didn't even know what to do like uh, like it was one of those amazing feelings that you you get stuck and i remember my manager asked me my manager came to ask me and say sibu there's a sponsor what now and i said we're going and he said, do you have enough time to go? I was like, okay, we've done most of the work. We've done the hard work, which is training for the event and doing team building together. We've been together since 2018. So it's four and a half years now. So we're more than ready. We just need to focus on the boat. We don't have to make the boat like a, a, the most beautiful boat. We just make it fit enough to go across the ocean. That's all. So the sponsor came on board. We met the sponsors, the, the, the people and the nicest thing that they because it's very hard to do with sponsors but alex forbes was the best sponsor that i ever had because they came on board and said okay we don't know much about sailing we've been to so many sports but we don't know much about sailing how about you do what you love we'll just support you that make my life made my life very easy so now we just tell them we need this, we need this, we need this, we need this, and it's okay. That's it. And tell me, tell me about the race itself. Was it was it easy going or was it a, a challenge? Because I mean, you, you did very well. It wasn't just a case of getting across the water, as you said. <laughs> it was very challenging, I have to say. It. Uh, right at the beginning, it was a smooth start. So we had some westerlies, like eight knots, ten knots. We started off nicely, and then in the middle of the night, we had some fog, and then we didn't really worry about the mist and the night because we trained and we know exactly what to do. Just look at the campus, that's it. And then the third day we had some southeaster blowing and that's when we started having problems. First we had the errata play. So errata play is like having a wheel element on a car, on the, on the wheel, so it started wobbling a bit. So that's three days to Rio. That's, that's three days into the race. We still got like 20 days to go. And uh, at first the crew didn't really know what errata play. And I told to myself, you know, let me just not tell them. They might panic, you know. And then two minutes later, sorry, two minutes later, I realized actually this is dangerous. Not telling someone it is such an like such a problem, like such a this is like a major problem. So it's not quite a nice thing to do, not to tell the crew, because when the problem comes, then it's going to be a big issue. So I told them, hey guys, we have a rather problem. So uh, this is a problem with the rudder. This is fundamental for anybody who doesn't know sailing. This could this could finish your race. Yes, yeah. because if you don't have a rudder, you can't steer the boat. Of course. The boat will use, even if you say, okay, you're going to use this, you, you will struggle. So it's just the end of the game. So we, I spoke to the guys and said, hey guys, this is a problem. What are we going to do? And then we called the person who built the rudder and we mounted the rudder in. 
Then he said, we need to stop at Valvas Bay and, um, in Namibia and fix it there. But the problem with that, if we stop at Valvas Bay, that's it. We get disqualified. You can't get help anywhere. Oh, you can't. You've you, got to go straight across. across There's no stopping. Yeah. yeah. You can't even ask for a boat that is standing by and say, we run out of water. Can you give us maybe five liters of water? Wow. No, we can't do that. You need to be prepared, you need to be prepared for the race. It's an, endurance, it's an endurance race, so you have to go to the finish line. So I spoke to the crew, this is the situation we have and this and what's what's gonna and the decision is to come from them and I'll support whatever decision they make. And uh, we had one of the uh, the, the captain uh, Daniel uh, the, the the first mate Daniel here to look at the rudder. The way the rudder is built actually, um, the boat was built in nineteen seventy nine. So the way those boats were built were quite solid compared to the boats we have today. The boats we have today, they break almost every day. But the way the parade was built inside on the socket, it was, we look at it and it's like, okay, it might bend, but it's not going anywhere. As long as the bolt on top is perfect. And then they came back to the crew, and the crew said, okay, we're waiting, we waited five years for this journey. And then the third day on the water, we're having these problems. Now, nah, let's sell the boat until it breaks. That's what they said. We have the safety gear. If the boat sinks, we're just going to throw the safety gears and call for help. Let's sell the boat. And then that's a decision we make. And then the fifth or the sixth day, and then the kite, one of the best kites in the boat, it broke as well. <sighs> just a fail on the kite. Um, we went and we ran out of wind when we were close to the Mediterranean. And then we, for three days, we had no wind. And we were just in the sun. It's quite hot out there. It's really, really hot. Then finally the wind came back. We started sailing again. Then another problem hit. Uh, I think the the the, uh, the other major, the, the, the last major problem was more of our uh, fault. What happened is we every day you will charge the batteries with the engine, but you always put the engine in neutral. You run the, the engine for like an hour just to charge the batteries. And on that day we decided, okay, you know what? We've been these batteries are new, you know, and we've been having this noise and this noise every day. We're tired of this noise. No, today let's take a chill today. Let's not charge. We'll be fine for tomorrow. The the the, the batteries are on 14 volts, so we'll be fine. Biggest mistake ever, because we started charging the phones, charging the speakers, uh, the speaker the speaker box. So we started charging all those unnecessary stuff. Next morning. Uh, we start to try to charge. We try. To, no, the next morning we try to start the engine. The engine doesn't gonna go. There we go. We have load shading in the middle of the ocean. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Just like a <laughs> usual everyday problem, but you're in the middle of the ocean. This isn't your car not starting. We this face is... like at home again. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and now the biggest problem with that we got an AIS in, uh, in the boat where it indicates uh, the other boats around us, like the shipping, like. Uh, uh, whatever boat we can hit so in order to avoid you need to see it on a screen on the AIS But now we have a problem now. We can't see that boat if we can't see that boat that boat can't see us as well So it's a big issue especially at night during the day you can see it at night We need to see what's happening around and it's closer to Rio now And um, that's where there's more shipping is gonna be happening. There's more action happening. This is life-threatening, isn't it? It is yeah. it is a ship can run over you just like that so we had to fight and uh, we had to go back to old school as well with, uh, with the old school map, uh, charts, uh, chart and plotter. Uh, it was quite exciting though, like getting to that. We can't enjoy that, you know, doing all those uh, chart and plotters, you know. And um, we sailed and uh, closer to Rio and then we saw oil rigs. When we first saw the oil rigs, that's where the excitement went. 
because when you see the oil rigs, then you know you're closer. Then we saw the land after 20, 23 days. Then we saw land. 23 days without yeah. seeing land. Without seeing land, just the ocean and flying fishes out there. That's Incredible. it. Incredible. And then we saw land, and the 24th day we crossed the finish line. And you crossed crossed the finish line in what position? And um, oh, sorry, we crossed in eighth. Yeah. Uh, crossing the line, but overall we're in second in ORC and third in IRC. Wow. So yeah. second and third in particular classes. So yeah. you were. So so ORC is uh, like IRC is like an international racing uh, course, and then the ORC is like a certain a certain uh, like um, how can I say it? Uh, overall overall ratings. So we came third in that, so that's why we're third today. So from a boy from Mtata? A Kumbu. A Kumbu? Yeah. This is some story. And <laughs> uh, and I hope uh, everyone listening will, will, will look up Sibo's achievements. And where's your next uh, where's your next voyage? The next one, um, so now because this race we had one lady on the boat and there was four guys. And uh, the next one I want to do the opposite of that. <laughs> I'm gonna be the the guy. Hopefully, I won't have tough times. We had enough. We had in, enough things to deal with with one woman. So imagine four women. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna do the same thing. And the goal behind it is to empower women into the sport because the sport itself, like any other sport, is male-dominated. So the next one is to get like four or five females across the ocean, and that's 2025. And it's two and a half years from now. Well, I hope uh, people listening to this will now follow your journey because you're an inspiration. It's a story I wasn't aware of, I'm I'm ashamed to say, but it was so fortuitous meeting you today. And I wish you all the very best. And thank you for flying the Eastern Cape flag and uh, being a role model for people out there. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was Frontierland with Dr. Dean Allen. For more podcasts, visit algoafm.co.za.